I was tired of seeing my money go to other things. So I would get my paycheck and I would be paying off this car, this car, this debt. And it did, literally did not feel like my money was mine. Um, and so I wanted that power back. Hey, yeah. Hey, yeah. Hey, yeah. Hey, from somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Hey loves, it's Wanda, the host of the Black Women Travel Podcast. I'd like to invite you to become a patron of the Black Women Travel Podcast. There are a few budget-friendly tiers you can choose from so that as a community, we can continue to heal, ask for what we deserve, get it, and inspire the next generation. Tap the link in the show notes and choose a monthly contribution that suits you. I'm so excited about the episodes you'll hear that will nudge you to love yourself deeper and take more action in your life from that empowered place. Please consider becoming a monthly subscriber through patreon.com slash bwtpod. Get ready to hear another great episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? Um, hi, I am Kenya. I am originally from North Carolina, so the South in the United States, and I currently um, also live in the South of the United States, just a little bit um, further, and I um, moved for work. And so my business is Kenya Imani, um, and I, within this business, um, I pretty much help facilitate personal growth and personal development through personal finance. And so pretty much helping people, uh, knock over the hurdle and the barrier that may be money, that may be debt, um, and bad credit so that they can achieve whatever goals and dreams that they have for themselves. So this is something that you are doing for yourself. So you had 10,000 and debt, you have so far paid off 8000 and you are on track to like wipe that out in the next couple months, right? So it's actually backwards. Um, I did have 10000 I paid it down to 8000 in two months just after deciding in January I'm going to do this. And so I've been averaging about $1,000 a month. And so, yes, by the end, by the fall, it will be all gone. Um, and then I will start my journey of just saving all my money so that I can, um, travel the world, be location independent. So what moved you to want to pay off the debt? Cause a lot of people have it and they're just like, child, that's overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> um, budget where? Like, <laughs> um, so it was, it was a lot of things. I think just personally, I was tired of seeing my money go to other things. So I would get my paycheck and I would be paying off this card, this card, this debt. And it did, literally did not feel like my money was mine. Um, and so I wanted that power back. 
And then um, one of, I, I found an Instagram account of someone who I actually went to undergrad with and she was on this journey um, and she was going to get rid of all her debt because I'm just focusing on credit card debt and go travel the world and take a sabbatical. And so from there, I found the debt-free community, the financial independent, retire early or fire, they call it, um, community on Instagram. And I, so like for months, like maybe four months, I was just stockpiling all this information about personal finance that I had never learned before in school. Um, even my mentors and like my close older family members and things had not taught me these things. And so it was, it was just a, amazing to find social media with a wealth of knowledge. And so literally January 4th, the day before my birthday this year, I decided I'm done. I'm done with this debt. I'm, I'm done with owing somebody something. And also it's a lot of debt and I don't want to continue like snowballing into more debt. Um, and then the travel thing actually came after deciding to get rid of my debt. But you, you've traveled before, like you are a traveler. I am a traveler. Um, <laughs> I have to tell myself. <laughs> it was just like, you remembered year, it the way you said it. You were yeah. like, Oh yes, I am a traveler. I did remember it. Um, because this year I had to tell myself I can't travel so I can save money to pay off my debt. Um, so this year I am going to Hawaii on a seven day cruise and seeing all the islands, but I made that decision last year. Um, and so, yes, I am a traveler. I traveled a lot when I was a, a, a child. Um, my, my dad immigrated from Jamaica. And so I'm pretty sure that was my very first out of country experience. And also my dad has his own pilot's license. And so, um, I always was flying. I always was, um, I always enjoyed flying. And so traveling was, is, is in me. It's in my blood, all of those things. And funny enough, I'm a mili- I come from a military family, but, and I, I moved around a lot, but it wasn't because of the military. Like I, I never went to Korea or Germany or um, Kuwait or any of those things with my father. Um, but yes, I am a traveler. I did my first cholo- solo trip uh, to Costa Rica I chose Costa Rica because literally my Spanish two teacher was absolutely the best in high school. Um, and I found out that Costa Rica didn't have an army. And I just thought that was so peaceful and that was so cool. Also, all the ecotourism things, it's just beautiful. Also, really love Spanish, really love Latin food. Um, and so, yeah, Costa Rica was my first solo trip. Then I went to Rome. I've been to Spain. I've been to Italy. I've been to Tangier, Morocco. Um, and most of the Caribbean. So talk to me a little bit, um, again, about money. You said that like being financially savvy isn't something that necessarily you grew up with. That's something that I didn't really grow up with either. And I'm wondering if that is like a cultural thing. I would say that it most likely is. (laughs) Um, do you Um, have any ideas about that? Yeah. I actually don't think it's a cultural thing. I think it's a societal thing. I feel like people are scared to talk about money um, and be transparent about that. They're all, they also feel like they don't know enough. Um, and so I don't think they feel confident to sh- tell other people what they've learned. Um, and I think when you're raising children, that's not really something you want to talk about with your kids. But I think it's as important as even a sex talk. I mean, um, you know, there's a lot of 
health concerns that can come from like starting to have sex. And I think that there's also health concerns that can come when you're not um, properly managing your money and you're not informed about your money. And so I, yeah, growing up, I did, I didn't ever, I never had that talk and I never even had an inkling about what our financial situation was. Um, but I was comfortable and I was fine. And then literally it was not until I was college that I even learned about credit cards, um, and why you should have a budget, um, and saving, you know, for emergencies. Like it wasn't until I was about to graduate college. Um, and I, and I think that's a bit of a disservice to our, to our youth, um, to people who are coming into society, but I think we should start very, very young, you know? I'm curious, like, what society, like, what society hmm. you're referencing? Oh, I would say Western society, American society, a society that is, you know, built off capitalism. And so it encourages competition. Um, it encourages you to always keep up with somebody and always have the shiniest, newest things. And so if you are unable to do that and like you're living above your means um, or you don't know how to achieve those things to um, create wealth, you're not going to talk. You're not going to talk about it. You're not going to out yourself um, to people and say, oh, I really don't know how to get from this point to this point. I don't know how to set up um, my my money and my finances. Um, I think just like a lot of things in our life, we assume everyone has it figured out but us. And I don't think that money is, um, I don't think money is any different than that, like our personal finances. But yeah, I believe it's just coming from a culture that doesn't really talk about some of the hard hitting things, um, politics, money, and religion. And then, so that trickles down to lack of financial education and literacy um, to young people and to adults. But so just how you... Like, I'm sure you're down the rabbit hole of finances. Like, I'm sure you found, because you were looking for it, I'm sure you found all types of resources that discuss all the different angles from uh, (laughs) budgeting to saving to investing, like all, everything, right? But you had to look for that. So maybe it wasn't introduced, like, in the school system. Like, that's something that some people are talking about, introducing financial literacy into the school system. Um, but, but there are resources, there are people that are talking about it. There are people who have been talking about it. It just may not be in the circles that we grew up in, like in oh, our yeah. home or in our school or even at work, of course, not at work. Cause you just didn't make them. <laughs> <not. laughs> even though there should be like conversations about 401k cause a lot of, you know, jobs offer 401k and so forth. So I'm just, yeah, curious about that um, perspective on that. Um, yes, there are definitely out people who have been out there talking about these things probably for years. Oh, like Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman. But like as a, as a young person, like I'm a millennial, I would have never um, been in contact with these people or with these ideas um, unless it was kind of marketed to me. And so I think even within the debt-free community, I found a lot of black women that were doing this for their own reasons, for freedom, to, to acquire personal freedom um, and financial independence and whatever that means to them. That could be, you know, buying a house, um, being completely de- debt-free, being married, having a baby, whatever. Um, and so I think that maybe if it was 
if I if these things were in front of me as a young person, maybe I missed them because it di- I didn't see anyone that looked like me doing these things. It and for a long time it seemed like everybody else has all the knowledge and everybody else has all the answers. And it's like, what, what have I not had to, to understand personal finances? Um, and instead of like going out to seek that, I'm talking about like when I was younger, it was just like a, Oh, I guess this is how life is going to be. Like, I guess everyone told me, you know, debt is a part of life. I completely disagree. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think about the marketing of it. I think about representation and just seeing more black women, uh, becoming um, more aware of their personal finances and, and literally going after what they want and literally and not having money as a barrier. Which is huge because money really is the access to everything. And if people don't understand how to, well, it's a little bit more layered than, um, you know, the passports over Georgia conversation. Sometimes people are not able to make enough. They literally are not able to make enough in order to save to, create the lives that they want. Um, I totally agree. But for the people that are, I think largely the ladies that listen to this show um, either have a degree or they've had years of experience in a field that enabled them to create more income for themselves. These aren't ladies that, you know, have consistently had to work in low wage paying jobs. So Mm -hmm. I think that that, helps in talking about this in having this conversation like to understand that income level to even yeah. begin to talk about the other stuff you have to have it to do something with it in the first place right yes i agree um i think that the, the biggest um barrier for me in this business is the fact that i just can't give people more money and so i totally advocate for the fact that we are underpaid and in the United States, we are underpaid and we are trying to make do the best we can with the, li- with the little that we have. We're underpaid and overworked. And so I do believe that there is privilege in, in being able um, to be financially independent, to achieve personal free- freedom through um, personal finance. And I, and I have that privilege. You know, I have two degrees. Um, and I would say that for mo- most of my twenties, I was um, I was un- I was underpaid for sure. And so, right after I uh, graduated from undergrad, I was in uh, AmeriCorps, which is a, a federal funded, pretty much volunteer program, and they pay you nothing um, to work in impoverished communities and, and and do community service. And so, I did that. And then I was in grad school for two years, um, and we, we can talk all about how grad students uh, are also overworked and underpaid. And now I'm in a field that also doesn't pay me a lot as compared to other people who may have a master's degree. And so actually, when I did start my uh, own debt-free journey, um, I did see a lot of people who are making six figures, and they're going on and on about, they, they can save $3,000 a month. And I could not relate to that. I was like, I was getting frustrated with myself because I wasn't on their level. And I had to stop and say, that's not my fault. Like I'm in a field that doesn't pay me that, that doesn't pay well at all. But also in, in the world that we have in the society that we have in the United States right now, wealth disparities are 
are are very very wide and so I mean, because because if you really want to talk about it like if you really really want to talk about it like uh when it comes to our jobs as black women a lot of times we're not taught how to negotiate mm. at any point so i bet you if you asked your coworkers how much they make <laughs> you would you would understand the value that they place like the wage gap is so super real between mm-hmm. between races and between genders so that also plays a lot into it you could be doing the same job you could even be doing more than the next person and still be making less in your role and we are not taught to ask for what we're worth a lot of times and sometimes that translates into entrepreneurship as well yeah for sure i think um so in our in my field things are a little bit more um well, actually, I was going to say they're a little bit more consistent, but that's probably not true at all either. And so um, I live in a state where I could look up my coworker's name and have their salary um, just by going online. Uh, but other states are not like that and that um, that information is not readily available. Even in job descriptions, they um, don't put the salary, which I think is absolutely ludicrous and a disservice to the employee and employer. Um, but yes, I, I, I have been working myself, um, to in, in a job that doesn't pay me enough because I am trying to prove that I'm worth the money that the little money that I do get paid. And so, um, I learned about negotiation from a colleague slash friend, and I did negotiate a couple times in my career, but I will admit this last time I didn't negotiate because I was scared. Like I was feeling, cause it, they had taken so long to get back to me that I was like, I don't want to do anything to miss this opportunity. And so I just accepted it, which I definitely, definitely should not have. Um, but yeah, no one talks about negotiation, especially especially as black women. Um, and it's hard to find out what you should even negotiate because all of that information is secret. Right. It's even um, according to like some company bylaws or what have you, they say it's not legal for employees to discuss their salary. What? Yeah. Some companies like... Apparently, like the super ratchet ones, <laughs> because like that should be free flowing information, right? Right. If we if we want to talk about equity, then yes, that should be free flowing information. But like, who's capitalism and equity like don't lie in the same bed? So exactly, <laughs> but capitalism, sexism, and racism do. Hello, I wanted to ask you about your faith and yes. You in the workplace and as you are striking out with your Kenya Imani brand and as you travel, Mm -hmm. how does being who you are worshiping as you worship impact your life and your travels? Yeah. Um, So I am Muslim and I'm I'm a black Muslim at that. And I also wear the, the head covering or the head scarf, uh, which we call hijab, or you might hear it called chimar. Um, And I didn't start wearing that until um, about four years ago in 2016. And and when I made that choice to um, start wearing the scarf, it was when I was moving to a completely new place in the Midwest um, on the, you know, the eve of the 2016 presidential election. Um, And so for a long time, I did not, um, I don't feel like I was with, 
I was fully embracing my face. Um, it kind of felt like a secondary piece of me. And as I've grown um, and matured, it has become all of me. And so my faith definitely um, impacts the opportunities that I seek. It impacts the places that I, or the spaces like that I hold and I end up going into. Um, and also kind of like my relationships with people. And so being a highly visible um, Muslim woman, I think that a lot of what, when I do enter like into new occupations or workspaces, like it's all about showing that I'm my own woman. Like I am not any stereotype that you may, or preconceived notions that you may have about Muslim women, about black Muslim women, um, or the lack of knowledge that you may have. And I, I am Kenya, who is also a black Muslim woman, not all these other things that are out there. And so that kind of influences like my workplace demeanor um, and how I show up. Like I show up as my full self, like my full personality. I'm not afraid to be who I am just because I'm Muslim. Um, if like, if anything that that's a part of me that, you know, you're going to see that. And so I really haven't had much issues with that. Um, I was really scared during the 2016 presidential election because I was away from home and I did not know what to expect in this new community, but I haven't had any bad experiences so far. When we think about travel, it has been interesting um, figuring out how those, how that works for me as a, as a Black Muslim woman. And so I actually, I went to Haiti um, and I had on the headscarf and I, it was so hot. Like I was so hot in that scarf and I was hiking mountains um, and like in the community with people. Um, and I just had to like figure out how to make it work pretty much. Um, and then we think about food. And so I, I don't eat everything. I can't, I don't eat pork. I can't eat pork. Um, and so I think about uh, like Cuba, which um, does cook with a lot of pork. Like, can I go there and not be starving? Um, and then also, I think about, uh, well, right now I'm thinking about like accommodations. And so when I, you know, start traveling, I've never stayed in a hostel before, um, but I'm like looking at places and the cheapest rooms are either mixed dormitories or female dormitories. So as a person that prays five times a day and, you know, requires modesty, how can I stay? How can I save money by staying in a mixed um, gender dorm? Um, it just makes it a little bit more expensive accommodation wise. Um, the all female, female dorm is fine, but it's like, where am I going to pray? Um, like to, where am I going to pray and not disturb these people in their space as well? Cause you don't actually have space at all. I think the biggest thing for me is like now, um, deciding about where I want to go in the world. I think having a, a Muslim community is really important for me. Um, I posted on my page that like, I really want to go to Morocco because I want to be someplace where the call to prayer is just in the atmosphere. And so that's not a thing here in America or America or most Western countries. And so I think that that would just be able to bring my faith into my, into all of my daily life and not just when I'm at home. Um, and the other, but the perk, the perk of traveling, um, as a black Muslim woman is that I save money because I don't drink. And so sometimes the most expensive items are alcohol and beer and wine. Um, 
and I don't have to worry about that. And so that's a good thing that I found. But yeah. <laughs> Do you think that being Muslim has impacted how people view you? Hmm. It can be hard to I, parse it. It can be hard to parse it out because it's like, is this because I'm a woman? Is this because I'm black? Is this because I'm Muslim? Like which layer? If if you have identified anything as even happening in mm-hmm. your experiences. That's a great question. And you're I don't I don't always know because of those multiple identities being black, Muslim and a woman. Um, oh, this is hard. I would hope they don't view me any differently because I'm Muslim, but I, I think how people interact with me, how they, how they choose to interact with me is because I'm Muslim, not because I'm a woman or because I'm black for the most part. And so they see my headscarf and they wonder how to approach me, how to speak to me, um, how to literally like engage with me. Um, so like with like hugs and handshakes. Well, some people um, think about that. Others will just, you know, go all in with a hug and a handshake. Um, and actually I'm not opposed to that. Uh, but there was a time that I was trying to like wean myself off of just pretty literally, literally having men just like come into my space and hug me as a woman and as, as a Muslim. But I, I can, I didn't really have the opportunity because people just kept doing it. Um, and so anyway, but I don't, hmm, this is hard. How do people view me? (sighs) I think people, when they first see me, they are confused because a lot of times you don't see black Muslims. We are not in the mainstream media. And so when people see me at first, they don't even, I don't think they assume that I'm black at all. They assume that I'm from a foreign country, um, that I'm an immigrant, um, and that I don't speak English, literally just because I visibly identify as Muslim. And so a lot of times it's like that cognitive dissonance of like, oh, you're, you're black, you're like African-American and you're Muslim. And like, yes, there are very large black Muslim communities all over this world um, and are all over this country. And no one ever talks about them. We're, we're very erased. We're very invisible in the community. And so there's that. And then when they find, so they find I'm black, find that I'm Muslim, they find that I'm, I'm American and I speak English. And then they want to know, they want to ask all these questions. Um, and it's uncomfortable, really. And so I just think they, they're just, it's like they kind of view me as a novelty sometimes. And like, how does that impact your experience? So if you're, you're out, and it could even be in America and you see, mm-hmm. because you've had the experience of not covering and now you have this experience of covering and maybe you are noticing some differences in how people interact with you. Like, how does that impact your experience of a place then? Um, it, it, it actually doesn't impact me very much. I think in the beginning when I first started wearing the headscarf, I was very aware of the stairs um, of the, the quizzical looks as well. But I think at this point, sometimes I forget that I walk around with the headscarf. Like I forget that other people are taking me in, um, with that identity being so forward, like being a Muslim, they're taking me in as a Muslim. And because I know myself and I know who I am and 
my experiences, I just, I, I forget that I'm walking through the world or the place like this and what, and, and how that's different for everybody else, because I am unapologetically me. Um, but like, I was really scared to go to Italy. Um, and I actually, uh, have chosen, I'm, I'm still unsure to go to Paris just because of the, like, um, the niqab ban and hijab ban in, in France. But, um, I was really scared to go to Italy because I didn't know how people were going to take me. I didn't know what the reaction would be. Um, and so that I was very hyper aware then, but it was fine. Like no one really said anything. Um, and so since that trip, it has been uh, not really a thing that I think about as I walk through cities, um, places, and spaces. Well, I will say in the United States, depending on what region I am, I become more hyper aware. So before moving back down here to the South, I was in New York City. And in New York City, n- nobody cared. Um, it, it was nothing. But with deciding to move back down to the South, I was very like, I don't know what to expect. Um, because when I, when I did start covering, I was going to the Midwest. And so I'd never really been in the South and covered up. Um, but it's been, it's been fine, actually. It's the hardest part is actually just finding community. Um, in your family, may I ask who is Muslim? Could you say your dad is Jamaican? Mm -hmm. Um, great question. Uh, in my family, it is just me and my father who are Muslim. Um, and so, yeah, I spent some time in Jamaica, um, and the Muslim community wasn't big or maybe I just wasn't in the right places like what <laughs> is it big in Jamaica <laughs> no it's it's not um the last time I did go to Jamaica I did see a mosque which was uh fun and surprising um but no it's not my dad uh converted to Islam after uh being in the army and going to Desert Storm or fighting in Desert Storm in Saudi Arabia and so that's another thing people um so I tell people like my ethnicity is Jamaican it, oh, oh, so, okay. You know how I said, when people see me, they assume that I'm from another country, that I'm not American, which is nothing wrong with that at all. And so, so they'll, they'll, they ask the questions, where are you from? They're like, where's your family from? And so I say, oh, my family's like, my dad's from Jamaica. And then they're like, oh, that, that makes sense. Like that in their mind now uh, explains how I'm a black Muslim. And then I'm like, no, it doesn't make any sense at all because there's not a large Muslim community in Jamaica (laughs) at all. (laughs) You just needed me to be foreign so you could better understand how I am a religion that is not um, very positively uh, portrayed in America. So when you started doing your solo travels and traveling otherwise, like, what was that conversation like with your father or with your friends? <laughs> um, my friends, if they think I'm crazy, they don't say anything. They don't say anything to me. They seem, you know, always very happy for me. Um, like, oh, I wish I could go. Uh, or Kenya, you're like, you're so brave um, to like travel solo. And I'm just like, well, I didn't have time to wait for anybody. And nobody wanted to go, so that's why I went. It's not like a necessarily a big thing for me. I mean, I am scared. Uh, well, not scared, but like I do try to be cautious and do my research. Now, with my father, 
it's completely different. So, you know, he raised me to be very independent. And so now I am very independent. Um, like I don't, I don't like talk to my dad or my parents beforehand and like say, I'm going to go to this place all alone. Um, don't worry about me and stuff like that. Like I just, I just go. Um, and then maybe he'll hear about it or I tell him, but I've, I've, I haven't had to have that conversation of like, uh, here's where I'm going, kind of worry about my safety. Now I do have people that I'd say like, I'm going to be in this country for this amount of time, you know, keep, keep tabs on me. Um, but my dad is just like, you're grown, like do you. And I, and I love that. And as you are preparing to leave, so you are planning to leave in 2021? Yes. If earlier, that would be great. But 2021 <laughs> is the goal. <laughs> um, what has that process been like? Oh my gosh. Um, it's very, it feels kind of theoretical sometimes. Like, oh, I plan to do this because it's kind of so far off. And there, but there have been like two moments in particular where I just kind of had this deep fear and realization, like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm actually going to do this. I, not that I don't have a safety net, but like this, there's like kind of no turning back. And the fact that I put it on Instagram, which was to hold me accountable is like, I can't go back now. Um, like I'm still going to pay off my credit card debt, but like, if I don't go travel the world, what will that mean? Uh, to me, but that's not going to be the case. And so there, yeah, there's been these moments where I just kind of like realize the decision that I'm making. Um, But yeah, I I would like it to be sooner, but then I wonder if it is any sooner, not necessarily am I ready, but like, am I emotionally prepared for this undertaking? Because I don't plan to come back to the United States I heard that. (laughs) You talk a lot about uh, purpose, alignment, intentions, and healing. And then you just mentioned um, being emotionally ready. So, like, what's the tea? Like, what's going on? Ooh. (laughs) See, this is why I wanted to have this conversation with you, because I know you ask challenging questions. Um, What's the tea? I think, ooh, confidence. (sighs) Um, and, and second guessing myself, I'm really big on second guessing myself and overthinking situations and, and scaring myself out of what could be a, a great decision for me. And so I'm scared that the time will come and I choose not to go and I choose and I make an excuse to not go. And so a lot of the beginning of this year before I really decided, okay, no, I'm, I'm leaving this country and I'm going to go see the world. It was a lot of excuses. It was trying to find other ways to see the world. Like, okay, well maybe I'll I'll teach abroad or I'll get a job abroad, Um, which there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a great path for some people to start there um, to start their world traveling. But I knew that that was literally not in alignment with what was next for me and my path, like working for somebody else. And so I'm just scared that I will forget those things come the 11th hour. I know that I won't, but today I am scared that I will do that. Um, And then also I'm really, really scared that when I go away, I will be very lonely. 
um, and I will come back home. I will say, I can't do it. I need community or I need my family or my best friends uh, driving distance or a short plane right away. And I will be in a hostel crying. Um, and I just don't want that to happen. It definitely probably will. Um, but I, I want to be able to know that like I can push past that. I mean, that is not what it has to be. So, <laughs> so the thing about the fears is like, you cut them off at the pass. Your fears are your mind coming up with mm-hmm. obstacles. And if you just hold on to the obstacle itself without forming a solution, then your mind will continue mm-hmm. to hold on to that obstacle. I like that. So you meditate on the solution. You don't meditate on the problem. So it's like, okay, what? I don't want to work for somebody else. So what do I need to do now in order to not put myself in that situation? And that's what you're already doing. Mm-hmm. You're, you're building your, yourself. You're building confidence in yourself every day by continuing to post about the finances, continuing to post about um, the things that you're interested in talking about, the places you want to travel and trying to connect with people to help them to get their finances together as well and, and charging for it. So like the Mm -hmm. more you do that, the more you build confidence in yourself to say, I'm doing this. I can do this. This is a reality. I can make money from this. How much money do I need to make? So that's, those are the next steps, right? So you have your job. So it's a little bit difficult to fit it in, but you seem like a person who is used to compartmentalizing. You seem pretty zipped up. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, you have some time before work, you have time after work, you have your weekends and you just try to optimize it and give yourself some grace and some space otherwise. So it's like you just plan for it. Okay, how much money will I need to live abroad with the, with the way that I like to travel? Mm-hmm. If you're not a hostile traveler, don't try to make yourself a hostile traveler because you're just going to make yourself miserable. But some people do it and it works for them. Um, and also, like, there's a difference between vacationing and like long-term traveling. If you're moving locations every week, you're going to burn out and you won't feel connected and mm-hmm. you won't be able to, to tap into any type of community. So if you're planning on spending a month, two months, three months in a place, a lot of times you can rent a place that's affordable in a lot of countries um, for that amount of time. So you have your space. And you do your research ahead of time. Where are the Muslim people? Where are the black girls? Whoever it is you want to connect with, there's a group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a group somewhere. <laughs> it's like so 2020. <laughs> yeah. there, are, there are expat groups. There's all kinds of groups. Whether those people are willing to connect is another thing. But there are groups where some people may be trying to connect. So like you just head it off, head it off before it starts to strangle you. Um, huh. yeah, cause, it, oh. and that's what, and that's some, sometimes that's just what you have to figure out yourself. Some people are like, yeah, I'm gonna spend a week here, a week there. And you find out on your own <laughs> or maybe <laughs> that is you, maybe you'll be perfectly fine like that. And you know, everybody is different, but yeah. you address your fears. That's the only way that you can get through it. You don't have to think that you'll end up lonely in a hostel. Actually, hostels are really 
can be a, a, a dope way to meet people, but whatever. Yeah. Um, I am not that one week of a destination person at all. <laughs> okay. Like the, the biggest motivator for me to, to go on this trip is because I'm so tired. And so I don't have the time to be planning every week. I just, or, you know, the money, it, it is, it is, like you said, more advantageous to rent a place long-term. And that's what I hope to do. I, I do, I love community and I do enjoy it. And so um, I hope to stay in a place, like get to know the market and the people and the roads um, and make friends in places before I decide to leave. I think it's, 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 it's always, it's an irrational fear. Cause like I'm an extroverted person. So I do believe that if I were to stay in a hostel, you know, I'm gonna be living it up with my new friend. Um, <laughs> but like it's, it's so irrational. Fear is an emotion. All emotions are irrational. Oh, like by definition, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever it is you're feeling, it's going to pass. Like you're not always yeah. so super in love. You're not always really scared. You're not always really anxious or really depressed. Even though those things may stick around for a while, they change all the time. Like, well, maybe not all the time for some of them, but some <laughs> of them <they> change, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's like, true. you can't, you can't logic your, your way out of an emotion. Like that's not how they work. You have to just address it, sit with it and be like, Hey girl, all what? right. So I see you kicking up dust over here, boo. What's the tea? Like <laughs> what do you need to, do to get you tucked in so that you stop dancing around in my head like a fool. <laughs> oh yeah. As many people. So I'm a Capricorn, everything mm-hmm. I do. And I'm a, a recovering perfectionist, I like to call myself. Um, so everything I do is a plan. Everything is a, how will I? I'm a problem solver. And so as many people who have told me, you cannot logic your way out of emotion, yet I am trying to do it every day. Like if I'm, if I'm fearful, create a plan, but make the plan very detailed. And so then that ends up getting into rabbit holes and anxiety and stuff like that. And so, yes, I'm, I'm, I, I can be able to sit with my emotions, but it's a matter of, um, accepting them and then letting them go when it's time for them to go. So that is definitely something I'm still working on. That's still coming from a very logical place. <laughs> like I don't hear the uh, emotion in your voice. Like, you know what I mean? It's like when something really touches you, you're just like, man, you know, and I'm just sitting with it and sitting with it is like really this thing. <laughs> like you're not like that. You're just like, mm-hmm. so step one, sit with your emotions. Step two, like, <laughs> literally (laughs) I feel seen (laughs) well then how do you how do you not logic your way out of things can you girl you got emotions you have been moved I do you have been moved to joy you have been completely enraptured in a moment and that is how you sit with the emotion it's just you don't enjoy it because you don't consider it to be enjoyable but when you are looking at that sunset or when you're dreaming about Tulum, Mexico, or going back to Morocco, like you are completely carried away. And that is exactly where those other emotions live. You just don't feed them. You starve them. And so they create a scene and make a funk so that you'll pay attention to them. Hmm. Okay. So you I know we're a therapist. Well, I'm not, I just play one on a podcast. (laughs) I was going to say a TV, but you know, 
on the podcast. So, um, no, but like I know you're in therapy and mm-hmm. doing your work. Sometimes it just takes hearing something a different way. It's like you're not more than likely at this point. Uh, if you're an over planner and you've heard everything, I'm sure you've done your research. You've oh, heard yes. everything, but you haven't you haven't let it penetrate you and sit with you and like you haven't felt it. You've heard it, but you haven't felt it, maybe. Is what hmm. I mean. <laughs> like I feel you like okay I can mm, okay you know you like ingest it it's not a heady thing <laughs> it lives in your body it lives in your heart you talk about doing yoga and like yoga could be magical for that just sitting yeah. with it some of those poses are extremely some of those asanas are extremely uncomfortable extremely because they're stretching you and they're loosening up whatever is has been so tight and you sit with <laughs> it as uncomfortable as it is, you sit with it. So, yeah, girl. Yeah, transform, I, girl. I'm trying. I'm doing it every day. Every day, learning something new. Um, but I think also sitting with uncomfortability that, like, that's that's the road to growth, and well, at least a part of the road to growth. So, yeah, I I, I need to sit in things more instead of just. Um, working logically, working my way out of it. I can sit with the good emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm a hopeless romantic. I'm overjoyed by love and people who are joyous and, and accomplish things in their lives. I think that's why I um, love helping people with their personal finances. Is because at the end of the day, it's like you can feel the sense of release, the relief that they have, and I'm just so happy for them. I'm so happy that they're happy that they're. It, 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 yeah, I can that I can sit with that all day long. It's just a matter of how do I get back to that when the well, hold on, nope. It's just a matter of sitting with the uncomfortable emotions as well because they're valuable for the time that they come, and then you gotta keep moving. I think about the work that you're doing with the Black Muslim style, and you talk about <laughs> Muslim wellness and all these gorgeous young Black Muslim women and. That must just be so satisfying and so moving. And you don't, I don't know that you, do you know those ladies? <laughs> the people that are on the Black Muslim Style page? Yes. Most of them, no. Um, they tag, so that I'm a co-creator um, with my partner, but most, most people tag us and we put them on the page or we find um, black Muslims, uh, and put them on our page. We always ask them like, if it's okay. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know most of the people, but I know some of the people. Why, why do you do that work? Um, so that actually started, uh, so the Muslim wellness foundation is an organization by black Muslims for black Muslims. And they had a fellowship uh, program. Well, they have a fellowship program, and I participated in the winter of 2018. Of 2018, um, and a part of the fellowship is doing a action project. And so the fellowship is called the Deeply Rooted Emerging Leaders Drill. And so um, it came to it came. This idea came to me because when I started wearing the headscarf, I did not see people who looked like me. Like Halim, the supermodel Halima was not around. Um, like, uh, Ibtihaj, the fencer, the black Muslim fencer was not around. Like, I didn't see any black Muslims, 
uh, black Muslim women covering themselves like outside of the literal two black women I knew in my Muslim community from home. And I was in that really that um, I needed that to at least start learning like how to come into my own when I started wearing the headscarf. I, you know, I needed that representation <laughs> um, and it wasn't there. And so when I went, when I found this black Muslim community through this fellowship, I was like, I want to help pretty much. I want to help young other young black Muslim girls, whether their whole family is Muslim or it's just them um, be able to know that you can wear this scarf if you so choose and you can look good while doing it. Because when I started wearing it, like I was looking frumpy um, and you can look good and you can be, you can have your personal style. Like this can be an expression of your style, not just a facet of your spirituality and your religion and faith. And so my co-partner, um, she's a photographer and she's all into fashion and looks. And so we got together um, to create the book. And so we started um, with asking for submissions um, just on our personal pages within our community. And so we have submissions. We are in the process of creating the book itself because it will be a lookbook, like a style book, um, a photo book. And um, then we started the Instagram page really to promote the upcoming book. And from there, it has really like um, blossomed into this amazing community, this amazing um, thing that is, is like, we get a lot of messages about how we're doing great work and um, how people feel so seen and they feel um, represented. And, you know, they know that there is community out there of other black, um, other black Muslims. Cause I, I just did not come from a community that had a lot of them, but like Atlanta, Chicago, Philly, Detroit, there's a lot of black Muslims, but I did not grow up there. Um, and so it's just been heartwarming to know that people can take something from this, that they can be shown and shown off with their personal style as well. So the, the book will be out this summer. And so that, that kind of like grew, it sounds like it grew out of a desire for you to share with other women who may be in the same situation as yourself, that there's more to it than just covering. Like you can be who you are and cover. Yes, absolutely. Um, I don't. I, I don't know if that's talked about a lot. I think it's it's growing more now that they're just more visible. Like we have um, influencers who wear hijab and stuff like that. So we have more of these uh, people out there. But I don't think um, as a young person when you start covering that, there's not a, there's not there's a discussion about okay, yeah, you're gonna you 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 want to start covering. That's great how do you want to do it? How do you want to um, style your hijab? What colors do you like the most? The rest of your outfit, like what are, what are your boundaries? Like, what are you willing to do? Like, I'm okay with wearing stockings and leggings that are opaque, but some people, they would not do that. They're more fine with flowy dresses and flowy skirts um, and things like that. I'm okay with my arms showing. Um, and this is probably because for a long time I didn't cover, but other people they are like, nope, that that's not me. That's not how I want to portray my modesty and my faith. And so I'm going to have to find other fashions to make it work for me. And so <laughs> it, I feel like it's like another puberty because you're literally figuring yourself out, your personal style, um, as it relates to also wearing hijab and covering. And from 2016 to now, I have changed so much with, um, 
how I present with the scarf. Um, and I'm just really happy like for that growth. And I think that when people go on the Black Muslim Style <clears throat> page, um, they're able to see the possibilities that could be with hijab. Also, with because we don't also we don't just feature women, we also feature men, black men who are Muslim. And so they can see like you can have swag, you can be confident um, and be outwardly and visibly Muslim um, and, you know, talk about your faith as it relates to your um, your style. And so the book is not just going to be pictures. We in our submissions, we ask people um, a few questions about how their style relate or how their religion impacts their style, what they hope to achieve um, with their style or the impact they want to have with their personal style, um, whether that has to do with faith or religion at all. Um, but yeah, it, it's just been amazing um, to see it grow, to see people um, know that like, oh, I could, I could wear that. Like that looks really cute and I can still be modest. I can still wear a headscarf or I don't have to wear a headscarf at all. I can be very proudly Muslim and not have a hijab on. So yeah, it's been a great journey. Just thinking about like the type of impact that that has, because a lot of people who are Muslim, it seems like they were born into it. I'm sure there are, like I don't have any statistics, of course, but <laughs> you know, I'm sure there are plenty of convertees, but um, yeah, that's, that's very, that's a very specific uh, experience being born into the religion and always having it as a presence mm -hmm. and maybe not having as many options or mm -hmm. many options being discussed because of like cultural expectations versus um, people who convert um, having these conversations. I like how yeah. you said it was like another puberty. That was interesting. <laughs> um, would you mind sharing with us your self-care practices? Ooh, great question. Um, it has increased recently, um, but I, I, um, I journal every morning. Um, I used to be an on and off again journaler, but I really found like the therapeutic parts of it. So I journal, I meditate the best I can. Um, I, uh, do yoga, which I really need to go to a session. I really, I particularly love hot yoga. I always say hot yoga feels like a massage exercise and therapy all in one. Um, it just, it's, it's kind of like life changing sometimes well, when you go in and then you leave the session and it's like a breath of fresh air, but definitely hot yoga. I do have a therapist because I like to talk and I need to talk through things. Um, I'm a therapist, yoga, um, and I try my best to, to take time for my creative projects. Um, so yes, I have this business. Yes, I have a full-time job, um, but I, I really need to find time to like, to um, flex my creative muscle. Um, and I do that through acting. That's my creative expression. And then I sing every single day. Um, literally all day long. I'm sure I annoy most people that are around me, but yeah, sing from the morning to the end. And, oh, and I read, I love reading. Um, so, so much, uh, have a library card. I have to turn in a book today. I've been reading all about love by bell hooks and it has definitely changed. It, it talks about more than just romantic love. It talks about friendships and parental and familial uh, relationships as well. 
and it has just been um, just mind mind altering. Um, but yeah, I I love to read. I've loved that since I was a child. Those are my self care practices. And are any of those particularly grounding for you? Ooh. I think the journaling is definitely grounding. I also, um, I also have crystals as well. Um, those are grounding and breathing while meditating or just breathing period is grounding as well. But I sometimes forget to do it um, until I literally remember like, okay, I can control my breath. I am breathing, like take it slow. Like those are the most grounding things for me. Yeah. Because like reading, I, I, I particularly like reading because I can go into different worlds in the movies. Um, I, I like seeing movies and reading books because I, I can escape pretty much um, and enjoy a different experience, a different viewpoint, a different world. Um, acting again, I'm going into somebody else. I'm channeling my own experiences, but I'm going into another character. I'm going into a story. I think singing is probably the same thing. I'm, I'm singing the words of these, you know, songwriters. And so I think anything that's with me that focuses on me and my journey and my experience, like journaling, like meditating and even yoga, that is, that's, those are the most grounding things for me, but the other things make my heart swell. Come on, heart swell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let me ask when you do, travel to a new place how do you like to explore it oh great question um so I love history I love learning and so I'm not opposed to going to all the museums um going on walking tours I love those things but also I do enjoy resting so I think when another reason why I'm not a a, a once a week person is because I can't fit everything I want to do into one week or I will be exhausted. And so I love days where um, you just sit around and do nothing and just walk the town just aimlessly. And also I love being able to learn about where I am um, by the people who also live there and are from there. Um, So I I love the cultural aspects, the museums and stuff. And I just love um, engaging in the community. that's that's usually uh, how I kind of take in a new place. Do you have a song lyric or a poem that speaks to you these days? Hmm. So I actually have a manifestation playlist on Spotify that I created. Um, just songs that resonate with me and the things that I want for my life. <clears throat> and I can only give you one song lyric. Dang. Um, well, this is hard. Uh, so there's a song called Keys to the Kingdom. Um, and it was on Beyonce's Lion King, The Gift album. Um, and I think it's by Tiwa Savage. But um, it's so just the words, you're the keys to the kingdom, um, really helped me remember, like, my personal power in life, the fact that I can choose to do whatever I want to do um, and go after that. And also like when I start comparing myself to others, when I feel overwhelmed, when I feel fearful um, and tired, I just know that 
I know that I have <clears throat> power over my life and all the, like every time I hear that lyric, I, I get like, I see all the beautiful things that I want for myself and I see my value. Um, yeah. So it would be keys to the kingdom, the whole song, but just that part is also great. How do you like to celebrate Kenya? Oh, um, Oh, how do I like to celebrate? Why is that so hard for me to answer? I like being around people that I love and enjoy. Um, just like literally just spending time with them, whatever we're doing, whether that's sitting around or going to brunch or um, or going on a trip. Like the fact that I'm around the people that I care about the most in the world is a, is a way I love to celebrate. Like at my birthdays, I always like invite people and then I have them like talk about a really good story from that year um, with, with the two of us. Um, and so, yeah, just like being in community is a great way I celebrate. Can I say food? Food is a great way I celebrate. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like when I have a good day, I like I like to, or an accomplishment or whatever I love to get some really good food um but again that that goes back to being in community with people that's how I celebrate um and I'm working on making sure that when something good happens I sit in it and not move on to the next best thing or the next accomplishment and goal and so being reflective and like introspective is a good way for me to celebrate but I guess that's logical as well (laughs) That's not necessarily logical. It depends on how you do it. On how you do it. (laughs) Okay, so you were saying that you sing, so go ahead and bust something real quick. Five, six, seven, eight. Hold on, let me find the song. Let me find the song. Um, Hold on. (laughs) See, now you got him a spot for getting all the lyrics. So my favorite karaoke song is Another Sad Love Song by Toni Braxton. It's just another sad love song breaking my heart, baby. And I'm all torn up. Be it that. So, okay. Another thing about my singing. Fast or slow. Fast or slow. Keep going. Oh, oh be it fast or slow. Um, what's the next part? Doesn't let go. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't let go, baby. You got me all. No, hold on. So I so okay. And my friends hate me because we all sing together. I never know words to songs. Like when the song is playing, I got you. Other than that, I like I I don't know words to songs. I like okay. Here's the song I know. Um. Did you have to go to jail and put your heart on, put your house on up for sale? Did you get a good lawyer? Um, that's Valerie. Yeah, I just, I now you got me on the spot. I forgot all the words, but yes, I, I sing all the time. <laughs> just don't know the words, or, but I, but I will make up my words, and when I do make up the words, they mm-hmm. are like applicable. They just okay. aren't the real words. Okay, come on, improvise. But um, when I, when you were on your video, um, like about your journey, your YouTube video with Sheeta and Stephanie, um, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm a, like a, a voice coach. And I was like, dang, I got to go to Malaysia so I can sign up, um, get some, get get some of your services. 
But yeah. <laughs> oh no, baby. We do this online. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'll yeah, buy you the PayPal. We'll get it cracking. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, are you also continuing your advice I need to take podcast? My podcast. Um, I love that podcast. <laughs> My podcast. Uh, yes, I am. I'm um, interested to hear, side note, I'm interested to hear yeah. what this man had to say about loving a black man. I'm interested, Ooh. but I'm also pre-cringing because I don't know if you know what he's talking about. So, all right. How are you not going to know what he's talking about? You because, because they don't know sometimes. Well, um, okay. Because so they are I, I the problem. Because they are fighting for the white man's place. And so that's that why so a true. lot of black women are in the situation that we're in. Whew. Um, this, the man that I interviewed for that episode, Advice on Loving Black Men, part two, um, he is married. And, so I, and he's older. So I think that he had like a lot more experiences to give um but the biggest thing that touched on me when he was talking was that like um like being I guess pretty much uh being that not that shrink but like that support um for a black man I think he really made me understand that like as a black man I go out into the world and I have all this weighing on me like I really don't want to come home and and have to deal with home issues or or I do, or rather I don't know how to <clears throat> like deal with everything outside while also deal with everything inside like I feel like I don't really have a break um from things which I understand and get um but he was like uh just being there for them and showing that you are a support for them um through through the good and the bad uh, be, I think it was, it's more so like showing love so that you can pretty much get love, but you're right. Black men are a problem. Um, it was, it, it was a really good talk that we had. Um, but that actually is not the most popular episode. The most popular is advice on loving black men part one from the perspective of a black woman, um, which I thought was absolutely amazing. Um, but yes, advice I need to take. Uh, I started that podcast last year. Yeah, last year. Um, and that, that, that is a, that's a creative thing for me. Um, it, it was, it literally started because I was getting a lot of advice from people or I was finding advice on like social media accounts. And I was like, dang, like this is some good advice, um, that I probably need to take. Uh, and also I give advice at, I mean, being a, a finance consultant and just having this podcast, I, my friends come to me for advice. And so I'll be giving them advice. And in my mind, I'm like, this is advice I also need to take. Like I'm the person that doesn't take their own advice sometimes. Um, but it's, it's just, um, it's very topical. So not as specific uh, to a specific population or audience, but they're always topics that relate to a lot of, a lot of things that people go through. And I'm not afraid to talk about, um, some of the heavy things like toxic family members. Um, and it gets fun as well too. When I lived in New York, we talked about advice on New York city because everyone is like, I'm going to graduate and move to New York. Okay. What does that mean? And are you prepared to do that? Are you prepared um, to so die? <laughs> Trying to sustain your life in New York. 
Oh, no, but I, I, like, I like that toxic family anxiety. You talk about creativity. Yeah, you get into yeah. it. Yeah, advice on anxiety was the first one because I had so much anxiety with starting that podcast. Well, great way to work it out. Let me start the podcast and talk about why it was hard to start the podcast. Yes. Oh, Kenya, <laughs> you better make it work for you. Yes. <laughs> um, is there a way that listeners can support your work? A specific website or yes. a specific piece of content? Um, so definitely follow me on Instagram at Kenya, K-E-N-Y-A period, Imani, I-M-A-N-I. Um, and from there you can find my website. Um, and so you can learn even more about me as well as the services that I offer. And so I offer one-on-one personal finance sessions with people. Um, it is a like all in one, um, debt savings, budgeting, uh, session, um, and it's it's personalized to your life and to your circumstances and your finances. Um, and then also I offer uh, personal finance sessions that come with coaching. So if you would like to uh, work on your goals with a coach, a motivator like me, I say I'm your money motivator, um, that we do that on a monthly uh, basis. So definitely support the work by following me, following the journey and booking me to help you get your money in order so that you can do whatever you want to do, whether that's travel the world, buy a house, go back to school, um, start a business, like anything that you want to do, let's try and make sure that money is not a barrier to that, but money is helping you work towards those goals. Those goals. <clears throat> work. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your analysis. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you have a gorgeous day. Thank you so, so very much. I'll probably go right back to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kenya, you take good care. You too, you too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Barum, ah, um, barum.